Hi there. I'm so excited to welcome you to the Arthritis Life Podcast, where we share arthritis life stories and tips for thriving with autoimmune arthritis. My name is Cheryl Crow, and I am passionate about helping people navigate real life with arthritis beyond joint pain. I've been living with rheumatoid arthritis for 20 years, and I'm also a mom, occupational therapist, video creator, support group leader, and I created the Room to Thrive self-management program. I am so excited to help you live a more empowered life with arthritis. We're going to cover everything from kitchen life hacks to navigating the healthcare system to coping with friends who just don't get it. Seriously, no topic is going to be off limits on this podcast. My interviewees and I share our honest stories of how chronic illness affects our lives. This includes discussions about mental health, sex, shame, pregnancy, body image, advocacy, self-acceptance, and so much more. You'll hear stories from all ends of the spectrum, from a person who's living in Medicaid remission from psoriatic arthritis to somebody living with severe mobility restrictions and severe pain from rheumatoid arthritis. You'll hear how people manage their conditions in different ways, like medications, mindfulness, movement, social support, work accommodations, and so much more. You'll also hear from rheumatology experts who just get it. We'll dive deep into the science behind chronic pain and what's the latest evidence for lifestyle changes that can help you thrive with arthritis, including exercise, sleep, nutrition, stress reduction, and more. This is your chance to sit down and chat with a friend who's been there. Ready to figure out how to manage your arthritis life? Let's get started. I'm so happy to have Dr. Stephanie Munoz here on the Arthritis Life podcast today. Welcome. Hi, it's, I'm so happy to be here. Glad we yeah. could do this. We just have, you're one of the first people from the podcast that I've actually met in person Ooh. because we were both at the American College of Rheumatology Conference recently in Philadelphia. So that was really fun. <laughs> but um, yeah, can you just give the listeners a quick introduction to you, like where you live and what is your relationship to arthritis? Sure. Um so I live in the suburbs of Philadelphia. It's um, about an hour north of the city in an area called Bucks County, very bucolic area. Um, my university, I'm a research professor, and my university is actually in Southern California. I'm the associate research director at Southern California University of Health Sciences and adjunct professor at Maryland University of Integrative Health, which is outside of Baltimore. Um, my relationship to arthritis is that I am a career researcher. I have a PhD in public health and I am a yoga therapist, um, and a health coach. And in all of those professional areas, the focus of my work is the non-pharmacological management of arthritis and rheumatic conditions, primarily using behavioral interventions and specifically mind-body practices such as yoga as an adjunct to standard care. Um, so what can people do beyond what they are working on with their medical management, with their doctor, their rheumatologist, their orthopedist, depending on the type of arthritis they have and how it's treated, what can they do in their own lives? Um, and, and we can get into what that means, what that looks like. But I study 
how that works from a research perspective. And I also help people to execute it in their own lives, um, both with groups and, um, and individuals. And then I also train yoga teachers and yoga therapists to work safely, appropriately, inclusively, effectively with people who are living with arthritis and chronic pain. Um, and so I can stop there or I can tell you how I ended up doing that, which probably is your next question. <laughs> yeah, you're psychic. Well, first of all, it's just, I'm thrilled to have you on here because I do think there, you know, there are a lot of people out there who are interested in yoga, but not many of them have such a rigorous research background like you. And like, I don't want to be a snob or something, but I think it matters to be able to really like disentangle correlation from causation and in the kind of, I don't want to call yoga alternative medicine because it's, it's there it's, but it's in the, the yeah, you mentioned non-pharmacological right. management. There can be a, a whole bunch of, you know, claims yeah. made in it. And you're going to be helping us today, us, me, and the people listening, you know, kind of understand what, are, what does the research say about the benefits of, of yoga and, and other mind body practices, as you so eloquently said, but before I, we get to how you came to specialize in yoga for arthritis, can you tell me if there's a difference between a yoga teacher and a yoga oh, yeah. therapist? Great question, yeah. Cheryl. <laughs> I'm so glad you asked. I actually don't know. I know that they're different. But I don't know the actual answer to that. Yeah, <laughs> and most it. people don't. So I, I'm I'm glad that you asked this question for your listeners as well. Um, a yoga teacher teaches, right? They are their primary role is as an educator. It is their job to teach you the practices of yoga. The minimum standard qualification to become a yoga teacher is 200 hours of training that consists of things like basic anatomy and physiology, what the poses are, how to teach them, breathing practices, a little bit of philosophy, et cetera. They are learning how to teach you yoga. A yoga therapist is a yoga teacher first. So a, a requirement to enter into a yoga therapy training program is that you already are a yoga teacher and have experience teaching yoga. Yoga therapy is focused on the application of yoga practices to the management of imbalances or health challenges um, from a whole person perspective. So when you go into a yoga class, the yoga teacher has a plan for what they're going to teach. And they're going to basically teach that regardless of who comes in. They may adapt the practice and they should, to make sure that you're safe and that it's accessible to you, but they are not going to design the class for you, Cheryl, who's walking in the door. That is exactly what a yoga therapist does. So a yoga therapist, one, is trained a whole lot more in understanding a variety of physical and mental emotional health concerns and how the tools of yoga may be applied appropriately for those concerns. For example, if you have hypermobility disorder, doing a lot of stretching is not going to be therapeutic. Whereas 
if you have um, if you have a lot of stability and not a lot of mobility, then that may be just what is called for. And so a yoga therapist will do an assessment and design a a plan of care um, that is going to serve your needs. You know, it, it's co-created between the client and therapist in prioritizing what matters most to the individual and also what is called for based on where the imbalances might be. Um, So a yoga therapist is going to already on the basis of their training know more about arthritis and rheumatic diseases but yoga teachers can also get a whole bunch of continuing education and become skilled and equipped to work with people who are living with arthritis. Uh, But sometimes people who are living with arthritis just want the practices of yoga to be accessible to them. Mm -hmm. They don't necessarily want to use yoga as a therapy to manage their disease, right? So whether you want a yoga teacher or a yoga therapist depends on what are you trying to experience, accomplish, achieve, what is the purpose of your yoga practice? And that can change, you know, where you are with your disease and in your life. That makes a lot of sense. And it kind of reminds me of this idea of like, uh, using a activity as a means versus an end. Like, you know, if I want to go to a yoga class because I just like the feeling of doing a yoga class, I like getting out of the house. And I like, I have this association that yes, this is something that kind of promotes my health, but I'm not having like a really specific goal with it. Right. That it's more the yoga teacher style versus the yoga therapy is like, I'm using yoga as a modality to like achieve a really specific goal. And yeah, just to make life more confusing, like from my background as an occupational therapist, like, you know, we were taught, we could use things like, you know, um, really simple, you know, we, we have like the, for, for pediatrics, like yoga dice, you know, like dice where you would do, and that's not really the, the full practice of yoga. It's just using the, literal, you know, poses as like right. ways to stretch and, um, get kids to like improve their well, Cheryl, coordination body. Awareness. It, it I mean, might, yeah. it might help to pause and, oh, yeah, and explain and what, yoga. What's yoga? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. That, yep, yep. That's probably a good idea. Let's do that too while okay. we're at it. Okay. Awesome. Because you know what you said that, um, that those dice are not the fullness of yoga. Many people don't know that, um, especially yeah. in the Western world, there is a predominance of what we call modern postural yoga, yes. which is basically yes. taking the poses of yoga, extracting them from the entire context of yoga philosophy and practices more broadly, and using them like a physical exercise routine right? So it looks like yoga. You're making the shapes of a yoga practice, but it could be argued that's not even yoga because the root word of yoga means yoke, um, like how oxen are yoked together, or you could, you could translate it as union. Um, and that can be the union of the mind and body, the union of the individual and the collective whole. It can be um, movement with breath. There are lots of ways to think about that union. Uh, but it does include, first and foremost, philosophy. Uh, there are basic 
penance to yoga, like the first one being non-harming, if you're not doing that, that's the foundation that all other yoga is built on. So for example, if you go to a yoga practice and you're doing poses that hurt you, you could say, well, that's not yoga because it's not in alignment with that foundational concept of non-harming. But the, the practices of yoga emerge over time in an effort to achieve a state of union, a state of you know perfect peace, equanimity. And so all of these practices, the breathing, the meditation, mindfulness, relaxation, postures, movement, all of that originally had the purpose of helping the individual to come into balance and achieve a state of union. As it turns out, there are also a whole bunch of other good reasons to do those things. Yeah. Aside from, you know, achieving eternal inner peace, like having more stability and mobility, for example. And so it's fine to use these practices toward those ends, but it's not, it's, it, it's important to recognize that you're extracting a practice from a toolbox and that when we're studying the effects of yoga or we're trying to optimize the effectiveness of yoga in helping someone to achieve whole person well-being, we're talking about a whole toolbox. We're not just talking about a hammer. Wow. That's super helpful. I mean, I was literally, as an occupational therapist, I was just thinking even of an analogy of like, you know, let's say in hand therapy, when you're rehabbing from, you know, a surgery, let's say carpal tunnel release or something. And like, you're teaching someone to like put their palms together. Like they're not praying. That's the right, right. pose people do when they're praying, <laughs> but you know, right. like it's definitely like yoga. It, unfortunately, I think in the Western world and in the United States, it's just definitely has become this kind of like to some people, a synonym with just fitness or, right. you know, just taking your body through a series of poses. I love everything you said was so eloquent. You know, I wrote, I wrote down little notes as you were talking about, you know, union and gosh, like what, when do you need a union between the mind and body more than when you're in pain? You know, yes. actually pain to me makes me want to disunionize myself from my body. Yeah. What's the word? Yes. Yeah. I want to not be in union with it. Right. Like I literally, when I was in the worst pain I've had, I remember having this really vivid image of like, I just want someone to take my head mm. and implant it on another body. Like yeah. I want to just get out of this body. Yeah. You know, so um, the idea of achieving a union with your body and union of your movement with the breath and all those things, it's, it's a, a very, um, it's a very interesting uh, or it's an interesting, what the proposition, that was the word I was looking for. So yeah, yeah, it, I love it, it starts with um, a willingness to pay attention. And I would say, I mean, there's so much in the yoga toolbox, so to speak, that serves life with arthritis. Um, the ability to pay attention to whatever is happening in the moment, right? That's mindfulness practice. Mm -hmm. And there is a tendency to not want to do that because what you might discover when you pay attention is unpleasant. Mm -hmm. And however, if you don't pay attention, there are consequences to that. Very real consequences like not recognizing that you're in a flare until it's full blown versus paying attention to those maybe like subtle, very individual kinds of cues that you get of like, oh, something maybe is a little bit off 
and being able to pay attention to how is my energy? What am I up for today? How do my knees feel? Should I do a little more or a little less? All of this starts with paying attention before you can make wise choices from the information that you're getting. But can you do that without getting caught up in story about, well, the last time my knees hurt, this is what happened. And if I do, why is my life like this? And it's not fair. And -and so-and-so is able to, and this is where I'm going to be when I'm right. All of the story that starts to happen, which in yoga, we call vrittis, they're, you know, ruminations of the mind. Can we just observe and then make choices based on what we're observing without attachment or aversion to what we notice? Yeah. It's really a fascinating, um, practice when, when you, when you are guided through it by an expert guide, (laughs) I would say this definitely, it overlaps with some of the acceptance and commitment therapy aspect of that, which I was taught by, um, a therapist who is really good at kind of helping me disentangle that difference between like sensation, the sensation versus you said the story and right. I mean, the story isn't, it's not about finding the right story or the wrong, identifying the wrong story. It's just about understanding that like the sensation is, you know, what it is. And it's actually reminds me of something that my, uh, who said this? I forget. I think it actually might've been in my OT training, the difference between pain and suffering. Yes. You know, pain yeah. is the sensation. Now it's obviously not that it is more complicated than that. Right. Right. Pain is like psychological as well, but right. suffering is like from the meaning we attach to the pain, you yes. know? Yeah. So, yeah. But I'm just curious in your, ex- or what, what led you to specialize Yeah, in arthritis? You do have an amazing website yoga for arthritis. It's arthritis.yoga. It's literally, I, the I love that you got that URL. It's like so straightforward, just arthritis.yoga, not even .com. arthritis.yoga. That's it. it. Yep. Yeah. I, when, oftentimes when I tell people the website, they say, wait, that's it. Arthritis.yoga. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. Um, okay. My backstory. So, um, I was a dancer. My mother was a dance teacher. I started oh. dancing when I was a toddler. Uh, I actually have a master of fine arts in dance and I'm a certified movement analyst. That's, that's my, my before kids life. Um, so I, I was very serious about dance and I would go to the dance studio after school every day. My mother's best friend owned the yoga studio and I was on a, you know, competitive dance, um, company, all of that. So there was a day in middle school when I got to dance in a bad mood. I could not tell you what that bad mood was about now, but I think it was probably something, you know, angsty and interpersonal. Um, And I remember, like, I remember stomping up the stairs to the the studio was on the second floor. And I remember just like being miserable. And for anyone who's familiar with um, with dance classes like ballet or jazz or modern, there's a point in the class oftentimes when you travel across the floor. So, you know, everybody starts on one side of the room and one by one or two by two, you do a movement sequence that travels across the floor and you wait for your turn to go across the floor. Well, we were doing that. And I was waiting on the side of the room to go across the floor. And I, I was leaning on the bar and looking out the window. And I had this epiphany 
that I was not upset anymore. I was totally unconcerned with whatever it was that had happened, but nothing was different. Like nothing about the situation had changed except that I had danced. And I realized that this was magic (laughs) and that there were people in the world who were suffering far more than I have ever suffered And they don't know that this is possible. They don't know that they could change their lives in an instant without actually changing anything in their lives. And so I decided that it was, and I don't know that I necessarily in that moment realized this, but like that was the beginning of what in yoga we call my dharma, my path, which is to reduce suffering through mindful movement, which is what dance is, right? The reason why I wasn't upset anymore is because I was completely immersed in the present moment of my body in motion and the breath and the attention and the emotion and all of that experience of dancing. And so I intended to study neuroscience because I figured whatever this is, it's happening in my brain. Uh, And then I quickly discovered that you know, studying brains wasn't going to actually change the world. I wanted to change the world. So I went into public health because public health is how you change the world. So that's exactly what I do is I help people to cha- to reduce suffering by changing not necessarily anything about their external circumstance, but the way that they are in that circumstance. That's so fascinating. I have definitely had that experience with dance as well. I don't think I would have been able to articulate it as a middle schooler. (laughs) That's really advanced, but, um, I love it. I love that. And I think when you add music to it, there is something so primal about music for me at least. And I, I do the only style of dance that I am proficient at is the Lindy Hop, and it's a very athletic oh, wow. dance. It's a very, yeah, I, I ta- that's how I met my husband. Like I, I taught swing dance and Lindy Hop for for years, and um, yeah, and I, for they they call Lindy Hop the happy dance. Like mm, and it's, you know, that, I can that see music that music from yeah. Charleston from the twenties and thirties. You know, um, swing music just has a da 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 da. Like it just brings a smile to your face. You know, regardless of whether you're physically capable of, of dancing in that moment. So anyway, I was just thinking about all my happy memories um, dancing. It's been a little bit of a difficult thing for me, like mm. just psychologically right now with COVID and exposures yeah. and, you know, dancing is probably one of the highest exposure activities. It's indoors, yeah. you're changing partners constantly, yep. you're breathing hard because you're exercising. Yep. So I haven't done it as much, but, but anyway, but back to your story. So, but why arthritis? I feel like I'm like yeah. in the, um, I feel like I'm in the New Zealand where he's well, like, why I mean, male models? In, <laughs> in retrospect, I can say arthritis is the leading cause of disability. If I wanted to do something that was going to have an impact on a major scale, reduce suffering, you know, worldwide, that's a great place to do it. Um, it wasn't that intentional. And that's how um, I feel about arthritis life for me too. So that's actually really, I mean, parts of it were very well thought out, but if you yeah. told me three years ago when I started arthritis life, what it would be now, like some of it is like, whoa, I, I mean, I didn't anticipate many things, but anyway. So, Cheryl, yeah. I, I don't know, you know, what your um, worldview or spiritual orientation is, but this is Confused. the, this is the honest truth of what happened. I was doing, and I had 
studied biology. I was pre-med. Um, I was doing a summer internship looking at herbs and culture with cancer cells led by a gastroenterologist. Okay. None of this has anything to do with anything. And I was in that internship and I was in my office and the gastroenterologist came into the office and said, you're a dancer. You should write a paper on how movement can help people with rheumatoid arthritis out of the absolute clear blue sky. And I knew nothing about rheumatoid arthritis, but she was my boss. And I wrote a review paper. There were literally six manuscripts on this topic at the time. There were two papers on dance, two on yoga, and two on Tai Chi. They were all absolutely tiny, tiny, you know, not federally funded, like probably 15, 20 people in a group. Um, but I wrote what there was. And I found that on my computer months later and just on a whim sent it to the rheumatology department at Johns Hopkins, which is where I had been doing this internship. And it turns out that the person who would become my research mentor had just started taking yoga. I, by the way, was already a yoga teacher. Um, and she called me. I said, I just want to know if this review is worth it. I don't know anything about rheumatoid arthritis. And she said, well, I'm interested in studying how yoga might help people with rheumatoid arthritis. Do you want a job? <laughs> oh my gosh. What an amazing meant to be. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, yeah. I kind of feel like I had the intention of what I wanted my life, what I wanted the purpose of my life's work to be. And the universe answered and like dropped this um, work and all of the um, tools that I needed to follow it right into my lap. So I just, I think Oprah said like, you know, luck is um, opportunity being met by preparation. Yes, it's like I yes. had, I was doing the work that I needed to do on my journey and I just walked through the open doors. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. And that's actually really important because I can be really stubborn sometimes. Like I'm not saying that is a good or a bad thing because stubbornness is a really good quality when you want to like pursue a goal and never give up. But sometimes if you're so stubborn about like, I'm making this path, like I actually initially didn't want to do a podcast because I didn't like the sound of my voice. Like most people <laughs> don't like the sound of their voice. Right. I wasn't like, I'm hideous. I was just like, eh. it sounds different inside your head than it, outside of it. Totally. <laughs> yeah. And I was just like, I'm better on video. I think my energy translates on video better. I think objectively that's true, but at the same time, um, you know, eventually it was like, I, I had to open my blinders to be like, mm. you know, I could take the same content I was doing on video, especially with the pandemic, not my initial vision was to, sorry, I'm going on myself, but was to do this as a talk show where I was in person. Oh, first, fun. You can see like my first, like three or four videos are like, my first three or four podcasts are the people I met with, like at their house or at their mm. clinic. And then pretty soon the pandemic happened. And I was yeah. like, well, okay, let's do virtual. And then I'm like, well, as long as it's just a recording, I could just do that as a podcast. So yeah, we have to be open to those doors and not so stuck. Like, right. This is what I, I'm only doing this. But. I mean, you can say that Cheryl. So in yoga, we talk about taking the practice off the mat. Ooh, so there yeah. are things, there are things that you practice in your yoga practice that hopefully will carry 
out into your life just naturally. Like if you learn deep breathing on the mat, you will start breathing more deeply in the rest of your life because it's a skill, a habit, a pattern that you've developed. Well, what you're talking about, and I love finding metaphors in yoga practice. When you talk about the idea of like noticing when there's an opportunity and not resisting it and not pushing and trying too hard, that translates to yoga practice too. When we're in a pose or in a movement, where is the opportunity? Where can we make an adjustment to bring more ease, to find more flow, to stop fighting or forcing or resisting? Mm -hmm. And when you can practice these things, sometimes on a gross level, like in the physical body, it starts to change the way that those things happen energetically, mentally, emotionally, you know, in our lives. I love that. I love If you have ever felt completely lost or utterly alone while trying to navigate real life with rheumatic disease, listen up. I am here for you. I created an educational program to help you go from overwhelmed to confident, supported and connected in a matter of weeks. And it's called Room to Thrive. After earning a master's in occupational therapy and completing hundreds of hours of additional training, I created a step-by-step guide to help you truly thrive with rheumatic disease. This is the only program I know of that's designed to improve quality of life for people living with inflammatory autoimmune forms of arthritis, like rheumatoid arthritis, psoriatic arthritis, ankylosing spondylitis, non-radiographic axial spondyloarthritis, Sjogren's disease, and more. During the self-paced lessons, you'll learn how to manage pain and fatigue, cope with stress, navigate relationships, and continue doing the things that matter to you and bring you joy. The goal is really to help you improve your quality of life and learn how to thrive with your rheumatic disease right now, rather than waiting for a distant day when it might be cured or healed. I really created the down-to-earth, practical, heartfelt resource I wish I had had when I was first diagnosed at age 20. If you want even more in-depth support, you can join the 12-week Room to Thrive virtual support group where you'll be surrounded by people who actually get what you're going through, people who will provide the encouragement, validation, and support that you deserve. Each group is expertly moderated, so you don't have to worry about the kind of misinformation that spreads like wildfire in the free-for-all social media groups. If you're on the fence, don't just take my word for it. Here's what Katie had to say in March 2023. I was lost and overwhelmed with my RA diagnosis. It felt overwhelming to know what to read, what to do, how to spend my energy trying to research on the internet. Room to Thrive did that for me. It's been like getting a crash course in my diagnosis along with a community who gets it. To see all the details, including the dates for the next support groups, go to the link in the show notes or bit.ly slash thrive room with a capital T and capital R. You can also just email me anytime at info at myarthritislife.net. And don't delay if you're interested because each group is capped at 16 people or less in order to make a small, intimate group atmosphere. Thanks so much for your time. And I can't wait to get started with the next groups. And I can't wait for those of you who are interested in the self-paced option to go ahead and join that at any time. Bye-bye for now. That and. So you mentioned that you did a paper or you did like a review paper on the dance and rheumatoid arthritis, yeah. but so I did this as perfect segue um, after my little side tangent-ish that um, about what the research says about the benefits. Yeah. I know that 
you know, it's listed often in the list of evidence-based, you know, tools for your toolbox for rheumatoid arthritis specifically. Um, what are some of the highlights that you think people should know yeah. about the research for yoga? Um, yeah. So <laughs> oftentimes when I tell people what I do and I say, I study the effects of yoga for people with arthritis and chronic pain, they say, well, <laughs> and I, I say, well, it works. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> That's yeah. the bottom line. It works. So um, depending on the study that you're looking at, because there are a bunch of them out there, there are slightly different effects from one study to the next. But generally speaking, you tend to see effects in a variety of areas. We could kind of break them down and say there's like arthritis symptoms, you know, so things like pain and stiffness. There are thing. there's that um, general area of function. So strength, mobility, balance, and then there are more the um, psycho-emotional challenges that come with life with arthritis, like mood and depressive symptoms. Um, and then you could put those all together and say, well, they all affect quality of life, right? So we have a higher quality of life when all of those things are going better. Right. And you see improvements in all of those areas. Now, how big of an improvement and which measures change how much from one study to the next varies a little. And I will say when it comes to underlying disease activity, you know, our SED rate and CRP and IL-6, are those things changing? Not enough studies have looked at that. There are studies that have shown changes in underlying disease activity, but I think that it's too early to say much about whether or not those are changing, but it's not too early to say across the board what we call the patient reported outcomes, the things that people tell us that they're feeling improve dramatically. Um, as an example, in our research, we're, we're looking at like 30% reduction in pain, which is similar to some medications. Wow. Wait, did you say 40%? Sorry. 30, 30% reduction that's, in pain. That's yeah. incredible. Yeah. Yeah. And I think at the end of the day, patient reported outcomes is, yeah, is what we're looking to improve because so often the said right and CRP don't tell the whole story of what your subjective experience is anyway. Even my own doctor, she doesn't go off of my blood work as much as even I mean, I am, you know, I, I do have seropositive rheumatoid arthritis, but she's like, you know, we, I really trust more your, yeah. your feeling, you know, what that inflammation feels like for me, it starts right. feeling like someone's squeezing my joints, like giving me a mm. handshake from the inside out. Like when I can start feeling that, that mm -hmm. warmth, that tenderness in the morning, like those things don't always show up in the blood work, but if I'm noticing right. them, that's what's important for, for her. But anyway, obviously more than just those symptoms. Um, I love how you broke it down, the symptom relief, the function, the psycho-emotional, all of those things contribute to the quality of life. Um, and, and so, yeah, that's what we're all looking to do, right? Just right, right, exactly. That's, and, and as you said, you know, yoga is not alternative medicine because it's not an alternative. It's a complement or it's integrated with. It's something that we do in addition to, you know, what you're what you're working on with your doctor in terms of your medication management, et cetera. If you're let's say you're using medication that does improve your pain, well, let's let's go above and beyond that and let's see what else we can do with changes in your lifestyle 
that can take it even further. And when people come to me, it's because they want to be able to get on the floor and play with their grandkids. They want to be able yeah. to, you know, do swing dance, whatever it is. They want that quality of life. And sometimes you need to reduce pain and improve physical function in order to have that improved quality of life. A hundred percent. And I'm curious because a lot of people with rheumatoid arthritis also have osteo, not as much vice yeah. versa, but you know, does the, re, uh, does the research change a bit depending on, I would have um, imagined it would change a little bit if you're looking at like osteoarthritis versus rheumatoid, or if you're looking at lower body osteoarthritis, right. you know, but yeah. yeah, I'm sure it starts getting complicated, but I'm just yeah. curious. So we've actually done studies that have had people with RA and OA together in the same yoga class, mm. um, because their needs are similar in terms of how the yoga practices should be adapted and modified, whether, mm. you know, if you're experiencing arthritis in your hands, whether it's RA or OA, you're going to want yoga practices that don't put weight in your hands or that use a proper, you know, as an occupational therapist, yeah. there are all mm -hmm. kinds of things we can do and their needs are similar. And, um, and so dynamics are really interesting when you have people with RA and OA in the same room who have some similarities and some differences. But there are a whole lot of research studies that, that look at those populations separately. Mm -hmm. And to your point that specifically sometimes look at lower extremity osteoarthritis, so knee and hip, which tend to be the most common. There are some studies of osteoarthritis of the hands, but not yeah. as many. Um, and so, of course, with osteoarthritis, we're not looking at disease markers in the way that we might with rheumatoid arthritis. But and, and also, I would say that the comorbid psychosocial challenges are different, like comorbid depressive symptoms mm -hmm. are more a feature of rheumatoid arthritis than they might be of osteoarthritis, although you could yeah. be depressed with OA for different I reasons. I feel like you're not a freak if you are. Yeah, like it's, right. Um, it's just a little more common in RA. <laughs> yeah. So. So the changes that I just outlined for you, right, those buckets of symptoms, physical function, psychosocial changes, all of that being quality of life, I would say that is also true in OA. It's just in OA, there is more of an emphasis on pain. They're less, they're dealing less with fatigue, right, mm -hmm. which is something that we care a lot about in RA. But they care about pain and they care about physical function. Those are yeah, kind of the two yeah. main concerns for OA and those also improve from yoga practice. Um, you know, interestingly, like a lot of the reason why people think yoga can be good for people with arthritis is because they think, well, yoga is exercise, exercise is good for people with arthritis, so yoga is good for people with arthritis. And I want to emphasize that when we offer yoga to people with arthritis, it is a comprehensive yoga practice that includes breathing, mindfulness, meditation, relaxation, applied philosophy. And I think that that's a critical ingredient and mm. poses a movement. And you could make an argument for how each of those improves arthritis through different pathways. So it's really a black box. We can't say, well, what if you just did the poses and you didn't breathe deeply? Or what if you just um, practice mindfulness and you didn't? And there are studies that look at those things independently. Turns out those also benefit, right? Like you can, yeah. you can have improvements in pain just from meditating. Mm -hmm. We're doing all of these things together. So 
I think that there is something synergistic about combining all of these practices and having them as an arthritis management toolbox that's particularly useful. I'm already thinking of an alternate title for this episode because it's, it's <laughs> not just exercise. Yoga is not just that's a huge, I mean, yeah, you're you're totally preaching to the choir of like what is important to me, like as a patient, but also as yeah. like a patient, a self-appointed patient educator, <laughs> occupational therapist, patient educator. I'm like, um, I think that's so crucial to understand that this is not just not only exercise, although exercise, yeah, is very evidence-based. Um, I, I tend when I think about exercise, I put exercise into three when in terms of types of exercise mm -hmm. for rheumatoid, I put it into the three pillars of like cardiovascular, regardless right. of strengthening and stretching, car yeah. getting your heart rate up. Right. And then they're strengthening, supporting yep. the muscles around the joints, and then they're stretching. Like, mm -hmm. and so those are three different distinct needs that you have. Like, right. Um, if you're living, I would life. add balance to that, Cheryl. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> I have excellent balance. So I was like, I just, it's like, a, it's like a blind spot. It's not even you're something right, you right, have right. to think about. No, no, actually it's kind of true. Like I literally I actually slipped. I should, I'm totally tempting fate right now, but I slipped on some ice and like caught myself on my foot. And I was like, I am amazing. Um, <laughs> it's all that swing dancing. Um, yeah, I'm sure. But yeah, you're right. You're right. But it's like the point is that like a lot of times people just think exercise is one thing. Like right, it right. has to be running a marathon. Yeah. You know, it has to be one or one thing or the other. And um and and so with yoga, it does seem like on a, you know, you're getting at least three of those four bullet points in terms of, you know, you're getting for sure stretching. Um, strengthening. I mean, yeah. it, it depends and, on the yoga, to be honest, Cheryl, because for example, you could be in a yin class, which is a lot of stretching and not a lot of strengthening. You could be in a restorative class. That's mm. not really a whole lot of physical that's activity true. at all. You could be in a hot power class that is very cardiovascular, oh, or you I could have, be I did do that in a gentle yeah, a chair time. class that is, you know, not cardiovascular at all. So that's important to note that not all yoga does all of those things, and it's important to find the right one. Okay, so that's perfectly leads to my next question, which is: first, people who are listening to this who are like, "I want to get started," sign yeah. me up. What are some tips for beginners to yoga to figure yeah. out like what is a good fit? Like, right. should I do Bikram yoga in a hundred degree room and like bounce around? <laughs> um, should I, yeah. How do, how do you sort through the options? Um, yeah. So first of all, if we're talking about RA, ask your rheumatologist, ask your rheumatologist, tell your rheumatologist, Hey, I've been thinking about doing yoga. Not should I do yoga because most rheumatologists don't really know what that is and don't really know how to guide you. Mm -hmm. So a rheumatologist might say, oh yeah, I've heard yoga could help go for it or no, yoga is a terrible idea, neither of which may be an informed decision. What you really want to know from your rheumatologist is what should I avoid? What should I be careful about? Mm -hmm. There is no one who can't practice yoga. If you have a body and a mind, you can practice yoga. You could be laying in your bed, paralyzed from the neck down, and you can practice yoga mm -hmm. because yoga is also a mental practice. It's also a breathing practice. It's also a, a philosophical practice, but it's a matter of what are the appropriate yoga practices for you. Mm -hmm. So getting guidance from your rheumatologist about anything, especially 
movement or positions because your rheumatologist is going to know about the particulars of your disease activity, any um, fusions that you have, any, you know, areas of involvement that shouldn't be weight bearing, that shouldn't be an extreme flexion, for example, Mm -hmm. that's going to be important guidance for you to have. Um, And then contact, well, I will say that a yoga therapist is going to have more of a, is, is in general going to know more about rheumatoid arthritis than the average yoga teacher. And so if you really want an individualized plan, if you want some individual guidance to start with, look for a yoga therapist. The best place to find them is through the International Association of Yoga Therapists, IAYT.org. But there aren't a whole lot of yoga therapists, so there might not be one near you. And if you don't want to do this virtually, um, you can also shop around for a yoga teacher who knows something about arthritis or who has worked with people with limited mobility or chronic conditions, joint disease, pain, et cetera. Even if it's not RA in particular, there are yoga teachers who have training in what you might call accessible yoga or gentle yoga, right? Yoga that is adapted. And, And even if you find a teacher who is capable of doing that, not every class lends itself to that. So for example, if it's a hot vinyasa flow class, you're moving very quickly from one thing to the next to the next. There's not a whole lot of opportunity to offer a bunch of different variations, which is what somebody with RA is gonna need. So you can call a yoga studio and say, I have rheumatoid arthritis. I'm looking for a class that's gonna allow me to modify the poses as needed and an instructor who's capable of doing that. You can also go to a yoga therapist or a qualified yoga teacher for a couple of private sessions just to learn how to modify things for yourself. Mm, And then once you know, then Mm. you can go to any yoga class and you know, okay, instead of putting my hands down on the mat, I'm going to put my forearms on blocks or whatever it is for you. Once you have those strategies, then you can use them in any environment. That's, that's super, super helpful. And even just that phrase accessible yoga, a lot of people don't know what that means. Like accessibility yeah. sometimes it to the average person, like if I wasn't an OT, I would think accessibility just means like there's a wheelchair ramp or, you know, like there's a wide doorway for a wheelchair, which is totally a huge part of accessibility. Yeah, it's whatever makes it possible for you to be able to do the things that you're trying to yeah. do, right? Yeah. Which may be getting into the building, but it also may be, you know, participating Accessing in the, the class. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And then we've already cleared up some misconceptions about yoga, you know, that it's not just exercise. It's not, it's the philosophy and the breathing it's in mindfulness. It's not just a series of physical poses. Are there any other common misconceptions? I just want to first acknowledge that I have actually used this before. There's a saying in the chronic illness world that I didn't really think about contemplatively when I used it before, where people get tired of being asked, have you tried this? Have you tried that? And a lot of the the kind of catch-all for this has become, have you tried yoga? Yeah. As like a (laughs) signifier of all the kind of random stuff people ask us, even though it's not a good yeah. example to use because yoga is so evidence-based. Right. Yeah, so yeah. How does that make you feel for small? Okay. Right. Yeah, yeah. Tell me. I am familiar with that, Cheryl. Yeah. And, um, and I, I I'm absolutely simplif- sympathize with 
the plight of the person with chronic illness who is tired of being told what they should try. I mean, my eyes roll and I know, I mean, I have, I've worked with thousands of people with arthritis and chronic pain conditions, broadly speaking. And I have seen such profound transformation in entire lives, not just like, oh, I couldn't touch my toes before and now I can. Mm -hmm. I couldn't bring my palms together and now I can't. Like all of that is lovely. I couldn't walk, you know, five blocks and now I can't. Wonderful. And I mean, like absolute transformation in the way that someone thinks about their body, their disease, their purpose in life, the relationships they have mm-hmm. with other people, like huge, profound changes um, that are, I have a book. You should read the book. Some of the stories are in it. <laughs> oh, yes, of but, course. Yes. But, but I, so I don't want to discount by any means how profound the transformation of engaging in yoga practice can be, especially over the long term. That being said, when someone says, have you tried yoga? Usually it's said in the vein of, well, if you would just do this thing, then, you know, it like, like rheumatoid arthritis is no big deal. Just go do some yoga or, you know, you don't need all of those toxic medications, just do yoga. Or I have a friend who had low back pain and she did yoga and now she's fine. It's like, you know, this like simple, easy, no big deal, magic bullet kind of thing Mm -hmm. that suggests a lack of understanding of what it is like to live with these conditions and how complex it is to manage these conditions from day to day to day, let alone over the course of a lifetime. So I think that oftentimes it's said in a way that is diminishing the lived experience of the person who is bearing the burden of life with that disease. yeah. The other thing I was going to add is I had on um, uh, someone of South Asian descent and she ma- she's brought a perspective I hadn't thought of, which is, you know, it's definitely, it can be very culturally insensitive to kind yeah. of say, oh, yoga is just this right. other practice, you know? And so there's a lot of Again, that it's it's a it's a saying of like solidarity between chronic illness warriors, like a shorthand of oh gosh, yeah. we get tired of all these questions, but really it's not about yoga. It's about unsolicited right. advice and um, people diminishing your lived experiences. It's also time. let's be honest, like it is cultural appropriation to like diminish this like ancient mm-hmm. tradition with a whole bunch of ways of living and being in the world and pulling out some physical postures and saying like, Hey, why don't you try this thing (laughs) that feels really good. Right. And so, I mean, I recognize that as an, a white American woman, by the way, also one with thin privilege and, Mm -hmm. um, ability privilege and you know all of those things that i am a champion of this practice that i hope i am able to somehow do justice through presenting it as as whole of a practice as i can 
having come into it in adulthood, not having grown up in the tradition, I do feel like it is my path, my life purpose to offer this work. And I think that perhaps the package that I come in makes it more accessible to some people who mm-hmm. share a cultural background with me and might not have access to these tools otherwise, but it is it is loaded and complicated. Uh, so I think it's important yeah. to recognize that. Yeah, I and I think you're a wonderful steward, you know, for for yoga. But yeah, I appreciate you clear yeah, it it clarifying the cultural aspect of it. And I just want to to clarify one who I was referring to is Sukjean from Chronically Brown, which we mm. I've had her on the podcast. It's a great nonprofit she started to, you know, empower disabled South Asians through education and support. And that's, you know, she's she's the one who spoke previously on the podcast about how she finds that very culturally insensitive to just say not and also, you know, it, I, I'm a huge proponent or just a proponent. I'm a I I try to as a patient educator clarify to patients that are really um concerned or hesitant about western medicine like yeah. i try to help inform them about the wealth of evidence of the effectiveness of western medicine and the dangers of some of the alternative practices again not yeah. yoga, but actual people posing you don't need these scary western meds you need to take my supplement right but i she also pointed out to me um that you know sometimes saying oh like kind of lumping everything together, like herbs and like weird remedies. Right. I'm like, oh, I should, that's very insensitive way of putting it. Like these are things that other people have been using for a long time. So there's a whole other aspect, but we help, we have a, a, just a few minutes left. So I just want to make sure, was there anything else that you wanted to yeah. say? Yeah. Yeah. So I, I do want to say, Cheryl, because you bring up an important point about kind of the dangers of some of those things. Mm-hmm. There are dangers in all of those things, right? There are mm-hmm. dangers in the Western medicine and there are dangers in the integrative health practices and there are dangers in the yoga practices too. Mm-hmm. So when we say, oh, just try yoga, I think it's really important to recognize that not all yoga is safe or appropriate for everyone. Mm-hmm. For example, a hot vinyasa flow class may not be a good fit for a person who is like having a, an RA flare. Um, and there's some some really interesting research that has looked at. So a systematic review, I know you're familiar with it, but for your listeners, it looks at a whole body of research on a particular topic. And so there's a systematic review that was done looking at the safety of yoga in randomized controlled trials. A randomized controlled trial being we recruit a bunch of people and we give some of them yoga and we give some of them something else mm-hmm. and we compare how they are the same or different after that. Yoga in randomized controlled trials is incredibly safe. In fact, it is, according to the systematic review, as safe as usual care. In other words, doing yoga is as safe as not doing yoga. (laughs) There is no health risk. Yeah. However, there is also a systematic review of observational studies. So these are people who are doing yoga out in the world, wherever they do yoga, at the Y, in their basement, you know, with their friends. And it turns out that in observational studies, there is a very real risk, first and foremost, of musculoskeletal injury, which Mm. if you're somebody who's living with arthritis, musculoskeletal injury is an important consideration. And so the kind of yoga that happens in a randomized controlled trial, where it is closely supervised, it's Mm. highly 
individually designed for a specific population. There's really tight control over who participates and who doesn't participate. So when it's optimized for the population, it's incredibly safe. And when you go out into the world, it's a mixed bag and it may not be safe if it's not a good fit and it's not appropriate for you as an individual. Mm, that's such an important distinction because a lot of people think, well, randomized control trials are, their goal, are the gold standard. But in, by definition, if you want to get something, and this is, I'm not as much of a researcher as you are, obviously, but if you want to get something through an IRB, like the review board, you have to, it has to be safe first and yeah. foremost. So you're right. already, it's not the same as what's it's out in the, the real world, the wild yeah. west. And so that's really fascinating to like compare what's actually being done. And there's risks of you're doing your own home exercise program, you know, yep. just on your own. Um, and so, so I think that that's a really important, and there's, and there's also, I would just say just one last point on rheumatoid arthritis. There's a risk in doing nothing. Yes. Yes. Very good risk. point. It's the, true. It's, yeah. It's a per, I mean, I think that's something people really miss the forest of the tree sometimes. And sorry to feel like I'm like on my soapbox again, but it's like, if you do nothing, like if you do no medicine, no, you just decide to kind of put your head in the sand and like, this is going to go away on its own. Yeah. Um, it is a, by definition, progressive disease. It will yeah. get worse unless you're one of the lucky people, which there have been since the right, dawn right. of people knowing what rheumatoid yes. virus is. There's a certain small group that just goes into remission and no one yeah. knows why. Yeah. Um, it's more likely if you had juvenile arthritis, but um, to go into long-term remission, it's like- just, And then maybe come out of it. So. And then maybe, I know, but it's like, <laughs> so like- that's what's like, we're not comparing it to nothing, right. you know, and, yeah, but that's yeah. really, really hard for people to conceptualize. Right. What's I the risk of doing this risk of inaction. compared to the risk of, yes, exactly. Yeah. Inaction right. is an action. Yes. Do, 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 do. <laughs> um, but oh my gosh. Okay. So much, but I know you have another meeting. So is there anything else you wanted to say or any advice that you, <clears> my other favorite question, if you want to end on this one is best advice for newly diagnosed patients, although that could be mm. a whole episode. <laughs> oh, Cheryl. Yeah. <laughs> I, my best advice for someone who's newly diagnosed is as soon as possible after you have that like very scary conversation with the rheumatologist where like the information is just like, you know, too much to absorb and absorb and totally overwhelming. Find a thriver find a person with RA who is living their best possible life with RA and listen to their story because there are so many people who are thriving with RA. Um, and I think that when you initially get that diagnosis and also you're like in the worst shape that you're ever going to be in quite possibly, right? Yeah. Like you're unmanaged because you haven't even started treatment yet. And you yeah. think that this is what the rest of your life is going to look like. Mm -hmm. And even I don't have RA, but I have been fortunate enough to have early conversations with some people who are newly diagnosed and just being able to share stories and mm -hmm. give glimpses of what your life can look like with this disease. I think one is very inspiring, um, can get you out of the doom and gloom and also like sets you on a path toward finding what that's going to look like for you. Oh my gosh. I love that. You're like literally giving me chills. Did you know my program's <laughs> called room to thrive? Oh, I love it's it. like synergy. <laughs> synergy. It's perfect. It's perfect. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. And I think that's just to tie it into social media, but that's one of the best, that's one of the biggest benefits of social media is access to those. You get access yeah. to 
doom and gloom stories and access to the positive right. and the and the and the plethora of what it could look like your life could look in a lot of different ways well the doom and gloom is important too because you get to feel that you're not alone and yeah. see your struggles in the lives of other people too so it's important to have both reflected back yeah yeah a hundred percent well i really really appreciate i feel like we could just talk for hours um, yeah. but i really appreciate your time and just you're very articulate and like taking these very complex concepts and distilling them into you know manageable manageable sentences <laughs> which i struggle with so thank you so so much and i'll put all of your social media links and your great arthritis.yoga and yep. also a link to the arthritis.yoga slash book for your Great. book too. Cause I, I think that's the more people understand this, the better. So thank you. Absolutely, Cheryl. It's such a pleasure. And I'm so glad that you're doing the work that you are in the world because um, it, I, it brightens my day when I see you in my social media feed. So oh gosh, I know no, it's having that too. effect for lots of people. I love it. I love your tagline here. Get up and live your joy. I love <laughs> that. I love that. And the pictures are amazing and videos that you have. So that she has a YouTube channel, everything. So, um, you know, you don't have, yeah, that's a good place to get started. If someone wants yeah, to just learn. Hello, hello. Someone's get started with yoga. You have a website. So correct. They could do that yes. too. Yeah. Okay, well, yeah, I also so have a directory of teachers, Cheryl, so oh, people can oh, find good. teachers on my website too. Oh. So I'll give you links oh, to all of that. There's more. Yeah. yeah. Thank you. Okay. okay. Thank you so much. Bye-bye for now. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of the Arthritis Life Podcast. This episode is brought to you by Room to Thrive, an educational program I created from scratch to help you go from overwhelmed to confident, supported, and connected in a matter of weeks. You can go through the pre-recorded course on your own, or you can take the course along with a support group. Learn more at the link in my show notes, or you can always go to www.myarthritislife.net. And if you like this podcast, I would be so honored if you took the time to rate and review it. I also encourage you to share it with anyone you know who might benefit from it. I also wanted to remind you that you can find full transcripts, videos, and detailed show notes with hyperlinks for each episode on my website, www.myarthritislife.net. If you have any ideas for future episodes, or if you want to share your story or wisdom on the podcast, just shoot me an email at info at myarthritislife.net. I can't wait to hear from you.